Ben Franklin said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses, who was good at anything else. That rings true enough for me and for an Old Testament minor prophet named Haggai. God sent Haggai with a message for the people of Israel to stop making excuses and finish rebuilding the house of the Lord. He also challenged their misplaced priorities. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What's your excuse for not putting God first and for not finishing what he told you to start? I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. And welcome to this Wednesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for tuning in. Well, the book of Haggai often goes unnoticed. It's a short book, just two chapters, and its content doesn't seem all that relevant. But even now, centuries later, it still holds many valuable lessons for believers today. Lessons about priorities, problems, perseverance, and about the personal relationship God wants to have with us. Ron shares some of those lessons next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. With this message, Haggai, Time to Build for God's Glory. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. As uh, the best-selling author of many, many books, including The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, maybe you've heard of that one, or another one titled First Things First, Stephen Covey knows how to set priorities. He says, you have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage pleasantly, smilingly, unapologetically to say no to other things. And the way you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside. He goes on to say the enemy of the best is often the good. That's pretty good stuff coming from Stephen Covey. But I wonder if he learned how to set priorities from Jesus Christ, who said uh, long before Covey introduced his time-tested leadership principles, Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, Jesus had a first things first policy, seek first the kingdom of God. Even Joshua said to the children of Israel who had taken possession of the promised land, you remember this in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, choose this day whom you will serve. Make a choice today. Set some priorities. Who are you going to serve? And then Joshua adds, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
He was unapologetic about it. He, he smiled about it. He was pleasant about it. But he said, the burning yes in me, Joshua says, is serving the Lord. And that's true for me and my house. What are your priorities in life? Let me ask you that again. What, what, what are your priorities? And if you don't mind my meddling, I'd like to peek inside your finances to find the answer to that question. <laughs> Suddenly it got quiet in this room. I kind of suspect it got quiet on the other side of that camera too in somebody's uh, den or their bedroom. Yeah, I'd like to peek inside your finances. Nothing exposes our true priorities like the way we spend money. Can we, can we just agree on that? Isn't that true? Okay. I mean, you can say, oh, this is my priority. This is number one in my life. But your finances tell a different story. I know that because misplaced financial priorities lay at the heart of a series of sermonettes delivered by an Old Testament minor prophet named Haggai. He's our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Now, if you, in case you think Haggai is a real downer because he took aim at people's financial priorities, I want you to consider this. His name means festive. He's festive Haggai. And I want to suggest to you that uh, you can enjoy festive finances if you put God first in your money decisions. Now, I'm going to let that sink in just a little bit, all right? And we're going to lock the doors so nobody can run out. No, I'm just kidding. Don't click away. But you can have festive finances. Now that that's sunk in a little bit, turn to your neighbor and say, I want festive finances. Come on, say it right now. And say it like you really mean it. But the truth be told, his, his name meaning festive has nothing to do with festive finances. I just thought that was really cool. He probably got his name because he was born on the day of a major Jewish festival. That's, that's probably how he got his name, Haggai, which means festive, and you can think of him as the guy who wants us to have festive finances. I think that's appropriate, too. Haggai was a post-exilic prophet, along with Zechariah. They were contemporaries. We're going to get to Zechariah next week. Haggai was probably much older than uh, his fellow prophet, which provides a beautiful picture of how Different generations can work together to accomplish God's work. Uh, the many date references in the book of Haggai, and we, we, we have uh, some specific date references there, indicate that the prophet delivered these four sermons, little mini sermonettes, over a period of about four, maybe five months. And in there is another encouraging lesson. Think about this. The most significant impact ministry impact that Haggai had was in a short period of time during his elderly years. What I'm saying to those of you who might have a little snow cap on top of the mountain there is, God ain't done with you yet. He isn't done with you yet. If he's given you breath and life today, he's still got something for you. And perhaps like Haggai, this elder statesman who worked alongside the younger generation, Zechariah coming up, maybe your most significant days of ministry are in these later years and maybe just for a very brief time. Praise the Lord for that. All right. I love this section over here. This is good. 
Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1 sets the prophet's ministry in a historical context, and this is a prophet where we get a lot of historical information there. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Most significant here is the relationship to Darius uh, in the second year of Darius the king. Now, Darius was a Persian king. A lot of the other historical references that we have with the uh, major and minor prophets refer to uh, ministry that happened during the times of kings of Israel and Judah. But here, Haggai relates his ministry to the second year of a Persian king named Darius, which means <clears throat> excuse me, that his prophetic ministry happened after Judah's Babylonian exile. Remember the 70 years of exile that Judah went into? Now we're on the other side of that with Haggai and Zechariah. Now in 538 B.C., all right, the Jews went off to exile with the Babylonians, 586 B.C., about 70 years later. Cyrus of Persia, who was a, a predecessor of Darius, you know, with another king in between there, he issued a decree that allowed the Jewish exiles to return to their homeland and rebuild their temple. We learned about this at the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Two years later, less than 50,000 of the Jews that went into exile with the Babylonians, less than 50,000 of them came back. The rest had grown very comfortable in uh, pagan Babylonia. Wasn't all that bad there. Why would they want to return to Jerusalem to face hardship and uh, difficult work conditions? But less than 50,000 of them returned under Zerubbabel's leadership. It took two years for them to lay the foundation for the rebuilt temple. Remember, the temple in Jerusalem were ransacked when the Babylonians came in three sieges, you know, starting in 605, culminating in 586 B.C., they just they bludgeoned the city and destroyed Solomon's temple. Now Zerubbabel is leading this group back. It takes them two years to lay the foundation for the new temple, after which they stopped building. The project stalled. Why? Because there was opposition from the Samaritans, who were half Jews and half Gentiles. They didn't want the temple rebuilt. And so they, 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 they opposed the temple, they uh, put fear in the hearts of the Jews, and they, they stopped the building. Additionally, there were some older Jews that had been around during the time of Solomon's temple, and they looked at Zerubbabel's uh, footprint for the foundation and said, well, this is going to be smaller than Solomon's temple. It won't nearly be as glorious. And that was just a real downer, you know, for the leadership as well. The, the, the naysayers and the complainers that the, the good old days were in the past with, with Solomon, but, you know, Zerubbabel's temple just won't be that great. Well, 14 years later, the temple project was still unfinished. Just lay there, stalled, with foundations in, but, but nothing, you know, coming off the foundation. In the meantime, the people got busy building their own beautiful houses in the hills. And candidly, they grew spiritually lazy, and their personal affairs took priority over God's. Sixteen years after the building project began and it stalled, God said, all right, Haggai, go. And he sent him with a, a stern message about their misplaced 
priorities. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, Haggai, Time to Build for God's Glory. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage. Then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon, and while you're there, visit the Something Good Digital Library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic and find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. After their return to Israel following the Babylonian captivity, the Israelites were commissioned to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. 16 years later, the temple still lay in ruins. That's when God sent the prophet Haggai with a message to start building again. Here's Dr. Ron Jones with the rest of today's Something Good radio message. Haggai, time to build for God's glory. Uh, the Lord basically said through Haggai to the people, it's, it's time, now is the time. It was, by, it was time back then, but now is the time to build for my glory. Now that you know the historical background, let's pick it up in verse two of chapter one. It'll make more sense now. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? That was a very you know, posh kind of a house. While this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, listen to this, does so to put them into a bag with holes. Wow, what a word from a prophet coming after their misplaced financial priorities. Well, not much has changed among God's people since Haggai's time. And I can tell you as a pastor for um, nearly 30 years, I, I have heard just about every excuse in the book that people can give, God's people can give, as to why they give sparingly to the church or nothing at all. In fact, I had a, uh, a lady on my staff, my ministry staff, who once boasted that she and her husband just, just couldn't give financially to the church because they were saving up for a second home in Palm Beach, Florida. Are you, I, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. Nor am I making up the fact that she was a former staff member now. All right? Um, more than 2,000 years ago, the Jews had convinced themselves that it was not the right time to rebuild the Lord's house, but it was certainly time to build their own fancy houses in the hills, those paneled houses. And the Lord's prophet called them out and told them to consider their ways. He says, take, take a look at your personal economy. It's failing precisely because the Lord was not first in your money decisions. Listen, I've, I've said this um, many, many times before. You can't say God is number one in my life if he's last in your budget. You just can't. 
These people had misplaced financial priorities. Do you mind if I meddle just a little bit more? Come on, give me, give me some permission here. This is not a one-off message by the pastor who feels like he needs to preach on money. We're on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. This is just the next book, all right? I make no apologies about it, but here we are. But here's the question. Have you bought a house or maybe traveled on a vacation or maybe bought one of those shiny new cars with money you should have given to the Lord? I know that stings a little bit, but there's nothing wrong with enjoying what money can buy. The question is just this. Which comes first in your budget? The Lord's work or your personal desires? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That's a way of saying, put God first in your finances. Give to God first, not last. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. By the way, this is one of about 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money and our relationship to it. If you want some perspective on that, uh, there are about 500 verses on prayer, somebody once counted, 500 verses on faith. There's four times the editorial space in the Bible on money and our relationship to it. You say, well, why? I mean, why, why, why is there so much? I can think of at least one reason. Jesus said you can't serve God or money. Either God or money will be first in your life, but both can't be. Okay? Uh, what Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says is, give to God first, and just, just watch him uh, fill your barns with plenty and your vats bursting with new wine. The opposite is true as well. Dishonor the Lord with your wealth. Prioritize other things ahead of him. <laughs> and according to Haggai, he'll put a hole in your pocket. You'll be sitting there saying, I got more month than I have money. As soon as I make it, it just goes right out the door. I just don't understand this. Now, we're, we're talking about for believers in Jesus Christ, all right? This is a discipleship matter. It's about bringing everything in your life as a follower of Jesus, as a self-proclaimed follower of Jesus Christ, everything is under the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ, including your finances. You can't say, oh, how I love Jesus. He's, no, he's, wow, we're, just, we're just tight. He's first in my life. But at best, he gets the, last, the leftovers from your budget sparingly, or maybe nothing at all. Uh, let me just pause here for a little bit to uh, give you a glimpse as to how this works in the Jones family. Uh, there was a time, even before Catherine and I were married, that the Lord shook my world pretty good to realign my financial priorities. Uh, had to do with a Expensive car I was driving, thought I was pretty cool stuff. You know, I was on the fake it till you make it plan, you know? Spending money I don't have to buy things I can't afford to impress people who don't care. And, yeah, think about that for a moment. And the Lord did something to shake me up and say, Jones, we're, we're going we're gonna to get this right so that going forward, you know, we're, we're properly aligned here. Um, from that time forward... Even as a single person, I began tithing. A tithe is the starting point in our giving 
in the Bible. It's the minimum expression of generosity found in Scripture. You may hear some people say, oh, tithing is Old Testament. It's about the law. We're not under law. We're under grace. No, tithing actually precedes Moses, who came down from Mount Sinai by 430 years. It was a lifestyle by Abraham and Jacob long before it was ever you know, a law. By the way, I did my doctoral research on this. So I, I kind of know what I'm talking about from that perspective, but I've also got 30 years of experience on this, of practicing this. Tithing is the starting point in our giving. Catherine and I were engaged, and I remember, and she'll give you this testimony, she was a tipper, not a tither. God got her leftovers. If she had anything left at the end of the month after she's, you know, and she kind of gulped when I said, well, this is kind of how we're going to handle our finances. We're going we're to tithe. Today, you know, we're in our 28th year of marriage. She's more passionate about this than I am because she has seen God work. When we ordered our finances and continue to by biblical principles, we've just seen God do, do amazing, amazing things. And we could go on and on and on. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you things that are, are, are fresh off of our plate and uh, from experience, not just pie in the sky, theoretical stuff and preacher kind of stuff. But 2,500 years ago, there were some of God's people who had misplaced financial priorities, building their fancy houses, traveling their fancy vacations, doing all these cool things while God's house and the Lord's work was in disrepair. And finally, the Lord just said, no, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. Got to send a prophet. He's going to thump you in the chest, rebuke you. All right? Question is, does the Lord mess with our personal economy to get our attention in times like this? Well, you bet he does. That's exactly what he did to the people in Haggai's time. In fact, we pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 1. The Lord says, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. I mean, how much more direct can you get? Therefore, listen to this, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its, its produce. God will mess with your economy, your personal economy, child of God. It just won't work out. You can't make ends meet. You have more month than you have money. You're working like a slave out there, just three jobs, but you just can't. And then you learn to set your financial priorities in a biblical direction. And, and God can stretch 90% or 85%, whatever your giving is, farther than you can stretch 100%. I got 30 years of experience in this. I, I really do. You cannot outgive God. What about you? How are you doing in the area of tithes and offerings? God asks us to honor Him in this manner, but He also gives us a promise of blessing. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Speaking of tithes and offerings, as you may know, Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support from friends like you. People are coming to faith in Christ through our internet and radio broadcasts. And your donations are a big reason why. When you donate this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you his new ebook that goes along with his series, Route 66, 
The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, the fifth of eight ebooks in the series, is based on the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament, Hosea through Malachi. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. And you can also call our offices at 757 276 1099. And though God was ready and willing to bless the Jews after they reprioritized their finances and completed the temple, he tells them that the olive tree would not yield its fruit if they continued living unholy lives. In other words, Haggai says to them, it's not just about prioritizing your, your, your finances. This is a time to scan through the totality of your life and, and let God reveal any area of your life that is not rightly related to Him. And uh, then He will bless you. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ranjan's message, Haggai, time to build for God's glory. Join us then for Something Good, for Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.